What up, what up, what up, what up? We are back, y'all. What's happening? It's Real Talk with Rajan. Y'all already know what it is. You know the name. You know the game. If this is your first time hearing this, you are about to experience something so cold. Welcome back to Real Talk with Rajan, man. So what I need y'all to do, go ahead and share this out. Tonight's show is something that you want to watch. You want to see this. You want to see tonight's show. We got a very special guest, my good homeboy. I know him as Benny, but y'all know him as Taj Reek. Taj Reek, aka Spellbound. Yo, y'all want y'all want to see this tonight, man. I'm telling y'all, y'all want to see this tonight. Um, go ahead and share, share, share. We're gonna have a fun conversation tonight. Just two homeboys kicking it tonight, man. It's it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. And I haven't seen them since since what high school. This is gonna be real fun. This is about to be real fun. So yo, let's let's get go ahead and share this out. We are live. I said the, the show starts at set at 8 p.m. tonight. So I got three minutes. I got three minutes before we're starting officially. But please go ahead and share this out. Oh, man. So we just got breaking news. Apparently, uh, that 70s show actor, Danny Masterson, was charged with raping three women. Yeesh. And I love that 70s show. I think that was the guy with the curly hair. I like Danny Masterson. That's terrible if he's raping people. Shouldn't be doing that. That's terrible. That is awful. But yeah, man, with that being said, we're going to have a great show tonight. Please, please, please um, join us. We are live. We are live. I have two minutes left. We are live. Come and join us, y'all. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? We are live. Trying to share from the other place. Share from there. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We got about two minutes still. About less than a little less than two minutes. I said seven o'clock, so I mean eight o'clock. So eight o'clock it will be. Eight o'clock it will be, and we will be rolling with the homie. All right, all right, all right. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I'm trying to share from my side. Feel free to share from your side. Real talk with Rajan will be live in less than one minute. Less than one minute. Thank you so much for joining us. We are live, baby. We at. Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Yep. All right, let's do it, man. Hello, world, and welcome back to Real Talk with Rajan, where nothing's off limits. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and I appreciate that. I am your host, Rajan Lewis. Now, here on Real Talk with Rajan, everything's available, so on any given week, we could be discussing anything from sports to music to politics. You name it, we'll discuss it. Now, for those who are new to the show, Real Talk with Rajan also has a goal of shining a light on the great things and the great people that exists not only here in the low country, but all around the world. And today I have a very special guest. This gentleman is near and dear to my heart. I've known him since, 
middle and high school, man. So shout out to Mr. Taj Reek, a.k.a. Spellbound, for joining us this evening. Thank you for joining me, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Shalom, shalom to everyone listening. How y'all doing? All right, all right, all right. So please introduce yourself to the audience for those who, who may not who may not know you. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, I am Tariq, a.k.a. Spellbound. Long, long, long time friend of Mr. Rajon Lewis here. We've, we've, we've known each other for quite some time. He's been a very, very, very dear person that I've looked up to over the years. Thank you for having me on the show tonight. God bless you and God keep you. Big shout out to your brother too. Big shout out to him. Follow. Already. Um, I am a area poet. Blazing cuts is in the building. Um, I am a local area poet. Uh, I perform nationally as well. I performed at New Eureka Poetry Lounge in New York City. I performed at Tavern on the Lake in Orlando, Florida in 2012. I performed in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, here in South Carolina, all over the place, North Dakota, California. You name it, I've kind of pretty much been there, done it. I've ripped shows as many places as possible. Unfortunately, back before, uh, phones had recording capabilities, so a lot of that stuff wasn't recorded. I've done it for a very long time. Enjoy it. It's been a while since I've been on stage since. opportunity in the mean. Got a show. You want a good poet to come? Gladly do it. All right. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So, so you plugged your poetry. So that means before we get off, you got to be, you got to be ready to, 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 we probably gonna ask you for one. I'm always prepared. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, 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 so you're, so you're a poet, uh, you're a writer, you're a thinker. So let's, let's talk, let's, let's break down what, what that means. How, 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 how do those things come together to make what, and is it Taj Reek? Am I pronouncing it correctly? No, no, no! It's Tariq the JSI. Tariq. Okay, I want to make sure I don't, I don't want, I'm, I don't like mispronounce, mispronounce people's names because I don't, have a name that people mispronounce, and I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. You know, I know you as Benny. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But so, so where, where does, yeah, where, where does Tariq Spellbound come from? Because I, I, I know you as Tariq. I mean, as, as Benny. So, where does, where does uh, Tariq uh, come from? My sophomore year in high school. Um, had a little stick delving back and forth into Islam. And uh, there's a gentleman, Derek. He, be, he was a full-fledged Muslim. He used to hang out pretty much at the corner by Garrett High School. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and one day he pulled me aside and he just talked to me. He was like, you real bright. You real intelligent. You know, I'm a, I like your name, but nah, you three. And that's what he called me from that day forward. Mm. It's been with me ever since. Um, I've, I've just carried it. And it's become a part of who I am. It's become the staple, pretty much, of who I am. Um, don't get me wrong. It's not a split personality thing. I know I'm on my birth certificate. Who I am in my daily life. And we are mm -hmm. all one and the same. However, Tariq just so happened to fit a little bit better. Yeah. It's been with me ever since. Um, it's been with me in the military. It's been with me since I got out. And it will be with me until I leave this. All right. All right. Good stuff. I like that. I like that. Good stuff. And, you know, like, like you know, when when uh, the great Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali, his name was Muhammad Ali. You don't call him Cassius. 
I don't care if his mama call him Clay. We don't call him Clay. We call him Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Clay. <laughs> mama call him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. So, so yeah. So, first of all, I just want to go ahead and let people know if you are tuning in, please uh, d- don't hesitate. If you have questions or anything like that you want to share with Tariq, please be sure be sure to share your questions. We're gonna share all his um social media information and everything, you know, as we go along in the in the, in, in the interview. But this interview really gonna be more along the lines of like just letting him, you know, fire off on the stuff that he that he's passionate about. I, I want the world to know, you know, more than just the poet um and the writer. We're gonna talk about the poetry and we're gonna talk about the writing, but I also like people get people let people to know the man behind the, the the art if you will so um so you're a writer so what kind of writer are you do you write novels or uh initially i started just writing uh, back in school you don't know this back in brentwood i used to write letters for people <laughs> i used to write letters for people in brentwood okay and i wound up writing letters for people in, in garrett i wound up writing letters for people at Stowe where i graduated and Little by little, I would write for people. Mm. Over my collegiate experience, I had opportunities to help people with uh, theses and uh, major doctorate level papers, all the way down to freshman level papers. I've just always been into writing. Mm-hmm. I remember back in, as a child, my father uh, make us practice our handwriting like, ridiculously hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone says I have nice penmanship, and they say that to this day. Uh, I put it all into practice throughout the course of my life. Something as simple as my signature and making sure that it's not able to be copied or replicated. I know how mm-hmm. to do that in at least 20 years. To just simply helping people type papers. Writing has just been the, the anti drug of anti drugs. Saved my life more times than I can count. And I have not stopped writing. I will not stop writing. I can't afford to. It okay. is. It's. One of my gifts. All right. So, so do you plan on, uh, do you plan on like using at any, have you started working on a book or anything like that? Cause I could, I could see you writing a book. I know at least a poetry book, if nothing else. Absolutely. Um, what I wound up doing, um, I wound up taking a lot of things that I wrote in 2003, 2004, and 2006, that mm-hmm. whole time period. And I, Piled a lot of that into a music album that I finally put out in 2012. Um, it was it was just local, you know, only to the closest folks to me and a few folks abroad that had supported me, and uh, it got a lot of pretty good reviews. Um, most of the things that I have written, I've got like a, I got this much stuff written that I have not uh, put into one book because they're in so many books. Um, as of late, I have been compiling um, a book of poetry where which I will put that out, some of which is on my album in form of music. Mm. But they were all poems. I don't like to consider myself a rapper or a pop artist, but I do rap poetry, as I would like to rap poetry. Okay. And take my poems and put them to music. I can take my music and put it to no music. Just say it as it is. Okay. It doesn't really matter for me. Um, Absolutely. I enjoy it. Absolutely. So when you, when you talk about, you know, you're, you're traveling, I know you see you travel to do poetry. Um, what, what, what is your, like, been, what's, what's your favorite thing about being on stage and performing your poetry? 
man, it is an adrenaline rush of massive, epic, gargantuan proportions. It is something that you, you can't put it into words. You have to do it. Uh, when you look at uh, entertainers like uh, the late great Michael Jackson, look at artists like Prince and Rest in Soul and so on and so forth. When you look at artists like them and when they're on stage, it's almost like a profession. You can just tell that they're in their element. And when the music is done, they come back to themselves. Mm. And that's truly how it is. I've pretty much always been a side natured person in my conversation and in other aspects of my life and age. I, it's a totally different person, totally different person. And I enjoy that because that's the part of me that perhaps I wish I always was. But then again, also in the same breath, I think humility has been the staple to differentiate between what I do on stage versus how I live my life. Mm. Regardless to it, the stage is going to go away one day, and I'm not going to be able to perform. What is my life going to say for me? And I would rather humility be that statement. I would rather humility be that statement. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so let's talk about a few, you know, current events, topics. You know, I wanted, I wanted to make sure, you know, I wanted to give you an opportunity to fire off, you know, what's going on here, you know, in the world. Uh, There's a lot going oof. on around it. So um, I guess we'll start, you yes, know, with, with the elephant in the room. I, I want to start with this right here. And I want to make this statement before I, I want to preface it with this, because I meant to do this at the start of the show and I lost track of time. Um, five years ago today, five years ago today was a, a, a landmark occasion for all the wrong reasons, especially here in, in the state of all South Carolina, reasons. in the city of Charleston. Um, I was at I remember I was it was late at night and I was at my homeboy's house. We were actually recording music because my sister was working on a gospel album that she was going to be putting out and we were recording the background vocals for it. And I walked out into the living room area of the studio and I looked at the TV and it flashed and it said that there was a shooting at a church. And during this shooting, um, they said that the gentleman came in, sat down and took part in the, the worship service, the Bible study that it was. And after they prayed and after they had, had worshiped together, this gentleman pulled out an automatic weapon and began firing on the audience firing on the other people that were in the church. Um, that gentleman, and I use that term very loosely, was Dylan Roof, and those people that he killed were the Emmanuel Nine. He fired on them repeatedly to the point where there were bodies laying on top of bodies at a Bible study. You later found out that that gentleman had written a manifesto, and he had plans on kill, going and doing this at many other churches in the area. Thankfully, he was caught and apprehended. Somehow he was taken in alive. And now all we're left with in the is the memory of the nine souls <laughs> that we lost on June 17th, 2015. So with that being said, before I ask my first question, brother, I want to take just a couple, a couple seconds of silence for those nine souls. All right. So with that being said, what what are your memories of June 17th, 2015? Oh, man. I went on a tirade and I, I couldn't believe it. 
my mother is an AME pastor. And the first thing that I could think of is what if it was my mother who happened to be in that car at the time? So I was very, very, very irate. Absolutely. About it. Um, on my very first Facebook page, which the uh, <laughs> people decided to take it from me, I don't have access to it anymore. But mm. I made a statement. And I said, plain and simple, if it's a race war that you want, it's going to be a race war that you get. Mm. You know, Malcolm X said it very best back in the 1960s about the powder keg. The powder keg that is in America. And right now what we're seeing is an emergence of that powder keg all over the place. Um, on that day, in Charleston alone, I think... I think we all felt some level of hurt that had not been experienced in quite some time. And I still hurt for that. Yeah. In fact, if you recall, one of the members of the nine, one of our teachers at Brentwood, Myra Quarles Thompson, who was my eighth grade English teacher. Mm -hmm. My English teacher in eighth grade. Reverend Daniel Simmons, who was the pastor of my father's church when my grandmother died. Olive Rank and me and my he was the pastor there at the time, and he was gunned down in the event on Taiwanzi. I knew him in Columbia when I lived up there. So there's a few people I knew that I was pretty close to. So it, it hits me a little bit differently, being that I was close to him personally. It And it still does. You know, it doesn't really hit. I've been mm. to a few funerals since then at Mother Emanuel, and it just, it, it doesn't feel the same. Right. Uh, one of the stances that I've taken on this is rather historical. You know, we looked at church as being the place where we could learn, we could get things done back during slavery and other things like that. But historically, the church has never really been a safe haven for us. That folks never been a real safe haven. When we go back to the 60s and we look at the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, yeah. four little girls that were killed down there. Where, when has church ever been a safe haven for us black people? We are inherently a forgiving natured people. We will welcome you back. Yeah. But when these types of things happen and we look around in the social media and we see our brothers and our sisters being gunned down, essentially, uh, yeah. we don't even have to go down the list of names. But the one that stands out to me the most is Fernando Castile. Yeah. When I saw a picture of that young man, he wore glasses just like me. Got dreads like me. We bought the same skin. He owned a firearm just like me. It was lawful and illegal. Didn't have his firearm in his hand. He reached for his wallet and was killed. And the police told him, you know, get the wallet. Let me get the ID and everything else. So in compliance with the command, Publicly. Will Smith said it best. You know, our lives are now being recorded as, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, our lives are being taken and we're being executed mm. as, a, as a spectacle, as a sport. And that's really what's going on. I mean, you can't turn your TV on, you can't turn your phone on. Yeah. Something happening to one of us. Granted, some, some folks, hey, some things you shouldn't do. Granted, 
but then there has to be some level of discretion that is involved with those placed in authoritative positions to monitor in these areas. They have to have more discretion. You know, as it comes down to this, you know, Charleston Nine situation, I think more people jumped on it for the spectacle that it was versus the real tumult that could have mm. happened to Charleston. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone was saying, oh, I'm sorry, this shouldn't happen. Yeah, you're right, it shouldn't have happened, and you may be sorry. But what are you doing to prove your sorrowfulness? What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing to prohibit things like this from happening? These are the questions that most times I often ask white people. And I'll say it plain and simple. I often ask white people point blank, period. What is your problem? You know, we have a we we have a problem and there's an issue of communication or either understanding. If we comply by standing up, sitting down, laying down, moving, sitting, sleeping, rolling over, getting on the ground, hands behind our backs. We have a problem with everything that we do. You have a problem with Colin Kaepernick kneeling. That means you have a problem with me who served this country. Let me share with you all. For all of my veterans in the building who served on active duty, went into METS, you swore in, you said the following words, you, your first and your last name, do swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Ian, on this point, foreign and domestic. We have had one terrorist act on the United States soil, and they said it was done by terrorists. I beg to differ. Mm. We have more domestic terrorists here than anywhere. And guess what? I, when I got out the military, I was never debriefed from my oath of enlistment. I was never debriefed. I don't think any one of us, we were debriefed from our jobs, we were tired, we were out processed, whatever the case may be, but we were never debriefed on defending the Constitution of the United States of America. All enemies foreign and domestic. Hence, for everyone out there who's wondering about whether Colin Kaepernick is wrong or whether Drew Brees is wrong, first and foremost, why should you be looking at an entertainer or a sports celebrity try to figure out what's really going on in politics? That's another topic for another day. However, um, from a military standpoint, to defend the Constitution says he has the right to kneel, he has the right to stand. Yep. So when we fight and we take on the uniform, we're not fighting to say you should kneel or not kneel. We're fighting to say you have a choice and we fight for you to keep that choice. Hmm. So it wasn't disrespectful to the military. It wasn't disrespectful to anything about Colin Kaepernick. Neither was Drew Brees' standpoint. Neither. However, I think it would be more disrespectful to the military that you don't. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, very poignant. Now, granted, points, this man. is my perspective, but <laughs> granted, this is just my my stance on it. But then most of my stances come from legal documentation. And when I raised my right hand and I took my oath of enlistment, I was sworn to that until the day I died. And if I died in combat protecting that, guess what? That's what I did. Thankfully, combat didn't see me and I didn't see combat. Nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact that that's what I said. That's what I meant. Yeah. All of that to tie back into uh, the Belarus situation. That was a domestic terrorist attack. He should have been responded to as a domestic terrorist. 
And when we see domestic terrorism happen, how do we respond to terrorists in other places as Americans? How? We bomb. We bomb them. Uh, who was it? Uh, which, which person was this that said Bomberman? Bomb Bomberman made, made a joke out of it. But that was a good point. If uh, it was a terrorist attack, they got bombed. Who, mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen here on American soil. And unfortunately, it, it would seem, I'm not going to say it is, but it would seem most inherent that the terrorism that has happened on this continent to this people has been done by that people. I don't have to go into details about that. You can read between the lines. Mm-hmm. What they what has been done to us and all who are not white, it is domestic terrorism. How can you how can you how can you accept how? How can you accept how can you accept the 16th Street bombing, uh, Baptist Church bombing? How can you accept it? And then let's not even go into the levels of the unspoken things that happened in Birmingham, Alabama, in the back yeah. of South, South Carolina, and in, in, in way out yonder in, in Georgia. What happens for those? Where's the justice? Where's the justice? And Malcolm X said the best. You don't find justice or find that in the street. You'll never find justice in the court. Never. Wow. Very poignant. Again, like that's that's absolutely I agree with everything you just said. Everything you just said, especially from a standpoint of like, like truth is truth. Truth is truth. And you gotta you gotta stand on that. So I, I definitely I definitely stand by you on that. Um so just staying in that in that regard. So I mean, with that being said, what what are your thoughts about the protests that have been happening, you know, around the around the world? Um, started out in Minneapolis. You know, the protest really really got kicked off in Minneapolis after the George Floyd uh, murder, and you know the video uh, coming out from that. Um, of course, before that we had you know right before that we had Breonna Taylor. Right before that we had Ahmaud Arbery, and like you said, Philando Castile, Trayvon Martin. Um, Amu, Am- the Ahmaud list is Abu- endless. Like the, like it's just like it's so many people that you like you. I'm not gonna get the. I'm not gonna go because I'm interviewing you, but the list is endless, and um. So, what are your thoughts about the protests that are that are that are happening? What what's your reaction to it, and and where do you think it goes from here? As for the protests, it is your constitutional right. Let me let me let me go legal first. It is your constitutional right to protest, as long as your protest is not violent. No, though the protesting is not wrong. It's not wrong because the people are tired. And when you have a people who are tired, you will begin to see change. And you're not, that's what, the, even with the personal, you go through something long enough, well, you keep going through it, you ain't tired. Mm-hmm. It's not until you get tired that you begin to change. Mm-hmm. As we are seeing this paradigm shift in the nation, it's shifting because people are tired. People are finally tired. People are finally tired. And it's not, I don't think there's going to be any kind of rest to the civil unrest anytime soon until, first of all, lawfully and legally, there are changes made to the law. There are changes, they, the changes have to be made to the law. Yeah. Why the law? Because the law has the statutes and yes. the law has the powers given to it by the state and the state is backed by the federal government who gives it its power to operate. So until the laws are changed, 
we're going to continue to see this. And anytime that these laws don't change and there's more civil unrest, you're going to see, you're going to see riot control. You're going to see yeah. riot squads. And eventually, you're eventually going to see martial law. Under martial law, that means the military now comes in to enforce whatever's going on by state government, local government, or federal government at that point. And then if they feel necessary, if they feel it necessary to use whatever level of force to keep control over an area, well, guess what? It's going to happen. And more people are going to die. Innocent people are going to die. Fortune, and I hate to say it, but people are going to die. People are going to go to jail for nothing. People are going to have their voices taken for telling the truth. People like you, people like me, or for did that. But people who are truth sayers, especially those who are like me, who will go into their own lives, put themselves out there first, and let someone know, hey, I made this mistake. I made this error. I've had this problem. And when we get out and we start to tell what's going on from the truth standpoint, well, mm -hmm. now we have a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody who's, who's tuning in. Um, you know, this is Real Talk Rajan. Just to reset, this is Real Talk Rajan. I'm your host, Rajan Lewis. Tonight, we are interviewing a good friend of mine, Mr. Tariq Spellbound. We've known each other for quite some time. And we're talking about current events, topics, and really, I'm just letting him riff because um, it's, sometimes you just need to give people an opportunity to get stuff off. You know what I mean? Like, like, like we got to be able to get the stuff off. We're also talking about his poetry and um and and his writing so we, it's a lot to get into um but right now we're talking about those subjects i do want to make sure that i do take the time to say this i, I gotta thank my sponsors um this episode has been sponsored by science to see for all your custom needs please visit www.science2c.com and use this month's discount code real talk 2020 real real talk 2020 that's the discount code 10 percent off of your order go get what you need i got all kinds of stuff i got a mask a real talk mask so I'm safe when I go out in these streets. I got real talk shirts. You one of those. I got I got got me a real talk mug. So you can get the, if you want to order some real talk stuff, you can. If you don't want to order that, you can get anything you want custom made. Science to see www.science2c.com. Discount code real talk 2020. Now with that being said, we're gonna get back to back to the back to the, the matter at hand. Um Tariq, so we just talked about the protest. Um we talked about the laws changing. So how about this? Like today, like, and this was a major announcement. The John C. Calhoun uh, statue, which is 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 if you've ever been downtown Charleston, you cannot miss that statue. You drive down Calhoun mm -hmm. Street and right in front of Marion Square, which was used to be the um, home of the Citadel. You see that giant statue sticking out of the middle of the ground. And it, I think it's up 150 feet. And it's the John C. Calhoun statue. Now, if you're not from South Carolina or you have never opened a history book, you don't know who John C. Calhoun is. Let me explain who John C. Calhoun was. John C. Calhoun. Please was tell him before I do. <laughs> no, I'm gonna let you know what. I'm gonna let you cook. Tell you, 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 you go. You go ahead. You let them know who it is. I'm because because this is your show. I got you. Go ahead. You take John C. You, you take John C. Calhoun. I'll take the center. <laughs> so, you, so you take John C. Calhoun. I'll John C. Calhoun was was is one of the most notorious racists in the history of our country. Period. Bar none. Um, there's no evidence that he was a Klansman, but I'm just saying. So John C. Calhoun, they, they put this statue up. Um, I believe that he ran for president like twice, and he never actually won. But I think he, dang, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. But anyway, he's one of the big, the the, the largest um, slave owners. Um, very big into making sure that we we keep the the, the African Americans in our country, which we weren't African Americans, African slaves, and black people in general. 
down. Um, and he overlooks the city of Charleston and has for about 128 years now. Um, you cannot drive through the city of Charleston without seeing that statue. We have streets named after him. There are um, the Yale School, um, the Yale, the Yale Courtyard used to be um, named after uh, John C. Calhoun, uh, and Cle Clemson's uh, Honors College used to be named after John C. Calhoun, and they just changed the name of that um, in 2017, and Yale changed theirs as well. So, yeah, he's 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 pretty bad. He's a pretty bad guy um, in in those terms. So. They announced today that that statue is going to come down. When is it going to come down? We don't know yet, but we do know that it is going to come down. And the one thing that I've realized from these young people is they, they're not waiting for you. That's all I'm going to say about that, and I'm going to let that cook. But you go ahead. You can talk about the Citadel, or you can continue on Calhoun. Go ahead, bro. You cover John C. Calhoun just fine. All right. <laughs> I ain't going no further than that. But uh, let me give you all a little quick history lesson. A big shout out to uh, my instructor at College of Charleston during my freshman year, Dr. Delaney. Uh, he taught me this and it's stuck with me ever since. Um, he said, he taught us that uh, about a man named Denmark Vesey, who happened to be from Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Planning a he was planning a slave rebellion and he had gotten all kinds of slaves together. Even amongst slavery, he was able to organize and hold, let's hold that word organized. Stick that in, stick a pin in that and hold that right there. I'm going to tie it off with that. Um, he was able to get even slaves organized to plan a slave rebellion. It would have most likely been bigger than that turn of slave rebellion. He had it done all the way from Virginia down to Florida and a couple other places. Well, the Citadel was put in place there where Marion Square is now. That, that used to be the Citadel. It was a military, Confederate military installation at the time. It was a Confederate military installation intended to counteract the slave rebellion. So one man could organize that many enough to where the Confederate army said, no, we have to find him. And they found him and they chopped him up, spread him all over Charleston. So right now where my house is at, his arm might be over it and I might be sleeping on top of his arm. Well, that should let you know exactly how deep the prejudice, hatred, and the racism runs in this country. Mm. And it wasn't that long ago. Which brings me to another point, and I hate to go off the off the script with this. You got it. Go ahead. Here's the thing. I've noticed a lot of white folks have a tendency of telling us as black people. It was so long ago. It that was ancient history. Was it really that long ago? No. No, my dad was born in 1914. My father was born in 1914, February 14th, 1914. His parents were the children. I'm sorry, they probably were slaves because they were old when they had him. Mm -hmm. So most likely, my grandmother was a slave. My grandfather most likely was a slave. And all of that being said to say this, it wasn't that long ago can't tell me, that, number one, the United States is under 250 years old. That's not very old in terms of how history has been recorded. You want to talk about old, let's go back to the ancient Egyptians. That's 3,000 plus. That's ancient. This is recent modern history. When we can listen to a recording from Johann Sebastian Bach as it was written today, that's pretty recent history. You can't tell me 
that something from right then is not recent enough for me to feel something about. Another thing that someone said, and you've probably seen this meme float, floating around, there's no white person alive today was a slave owner. No black person alive today was a slave. Mm. Is that true? According to the 13th Amendment, you go to jail, that's what you are. Mm -hmm. So has slavery completely been abolished? Because I figured abolished means done away with completely. Mm -hmm. It's gone. There's no provision made for slavery to be kept intact. That's what I thought. But who am I and what do I know? Yeah. So, so the point is, uh -huh. the, the point is, I, and I make sure that some of my white friends and counterparts, they know you have no right to tell me or you, you as a father, myself as an uncle, you as a husband, myself as a soon to be husband, you have no right to tell us how to feel when we walk out the house because we're double targeted. We're targeted from our own. We're targeted from them. What do we do? If we stay in the house, we can't make money. If we go outside, there's a threat of buying ahead of our time. So you can't tell me as a young black man, or you as a young black man, a young black father, how to feel. You can't tell us that. Not when you're killing people who look like us in our age group every day. Yeah. You can't do this. This is the madness of white privilege that you can tell me to tell me Hey, don't look at it that way. Oh, geez, that sucks. Like hell, it sucks. Of course, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, it's you want you want to trade shoes with me? <laughs> something's funny. So, so something about that. Somebody asked me um, the other day. Um, they they were like, "What would somebody tell you? What if somebody told you? How would you feel if somebody told you that they don't believe that white privilege exists?" Or that they don't believe that racism exists. <laughs> and what I told them was, oh, the first thing I would wonder is how awesome it must live a life where you can you cannot witness that for yourself. How awesome must life be that you don't experience that for yourself? That you don't realize that when certain things are said and when certain things are done, they are done explicitly and implicitly with bias. How awesome must it be to live a life where you can experience certain benefits based on nothing that you've done, yet still wonder, but still still consider yourself better than someone else? I just listened. Um, I just finished uh, uh, stamped by. Um, Ibram, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, which was uh, which which uh, which was uh, interpreted by uh, Jason Alexander, and he does a a, a job, a, such a, a masterful job of separating um, people in history into three categories: there's separatists, there's uh, assimilationists, and then there's anti-racists. So the separatists are the racists. Right. Those are the people who do not believe like in not only the equality of African-American people, but the intellectual ability of African-American people or the, 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 the ability of, of African-American people to control themselves or whatever. Like those are separatists. Those are racist. Then you have assimilationists. Assimilationists believe that 
in order for black people to concede to succeed, we must become more like white people or we must make white people love us. And then there's anti-racist. <laughs> and anti-racist say that regardless of how white people may feel about us, we have the unequivoc unequivocated right to be and love ourselves independent of their gaze and independent of their thoughts. When I listened to that, that really made me reconsider a lot of the ways that I carry myself in, in, in my life. Um, and that's going to that's gonna play itself out as time goes on. But as you were speaking, those are really? the things that I thought about is the fact that for so long, we've been told that the best qualities to have did not relate to being black. The best qualities to have did not relate to our skin color or the way that we were up brought, the, the way that we were brought. And even the things that we consider to be good, if you will, are, are words that are derivative of things that they consider to be bad. Now, of course, these things don't apply to all white people. These things don't apply to all non-African-American people. Shoot, these things do apply to some actual black people. <laughs> all right? So with that being said, how do you see Afri the, the role of African-Americans in our country changing and sh shaping um, and, and, and growing and building um, as these years go forward as a result of these, these, uh, these, these changes that are being forced upon people? Because they are being forced, but they are happening. But how do you see the role of African-Americans expanding and growing? And what's the way forward? Boy, that's a lot to unpack. So let me see if I can do it. I'm sticking. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, <laughs> let's start. Let's let's start off with our with our ladies. Let's start this off with the ladies, our sisters. It's funny you mentioned you have to how we've been conditioned as a people that anything that's going to be of us has to be like them. It's very unfortunate when we look at uh. When we look at perms, we look at chemicals, we look at the wigs, we look at the weaves, we look at all that kind of stuff. When we look at all these multicolored things in this and the film, like, look here, sister, you don't have that naturally growing out of you. You don't have that. I understand it's yours, it's your money. But here's the thing. You bought it. You own it. That's right. That's yours. But here's the thing. Is that you? Is that, is that, is that who you are? And here's the thing. We have to look at our sisters because they bring the lives that we plant the seed into. They bring that life forward. We plant the seed, they bring the life. Mm. We give the seed, they give us They give us a whole child. So I think one of the first places that we have to really start looking at is the dichotomy of thinking of our sisters. Be who you are. Be who you are. You don't, I feel like this, I got dreadlocks. I don't have dreadlocks to be like Bob Marley. I have dreadlocks because I understand what they stand for. And I don't ever want to go back looking like what I looked like when I was in the military. Ever. Mm. I understand. So this is who I am. I had, the, I had the braids from the time I got out in 2004 up until 2015 when I locked up. That's who I am. You don't have to put on someone else's for you to be who you are. Mm. The San Diego Padres had. I'm a New York Yankees fan. They're like diametrically opposed. And guess what? 
I can take this hat off and throw it. I'm still a Yankees fan. Yeah. With the brothers. I think we have we I think we have a responsibility to first of all protect ourselves. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to protect our women. We have a responsibility to protect our children. We have a responsibility to our, our, our community. We have that responsibility. And I believe all of that starts with leadership. So I think in order for this transitioning period to happen, uh, we have to look at the dichotomy of our thing. And we have to change. We have to, uh, as we've been assimilated into that thought, we have to, we have to disassemble it. We have to take it completely apart. Discard the parts we no longer need. Discard those. I shouldn't, I put it like this. I have on a, this is a Pennsylvania Bank shirt, Pennsylvania Bank blazer. Am I not Tariq, a.k.a. Spellbound, if I was just in a tank top? Hmm. I sure am. So I should be able to take this off and take this off and still have the respect of someone in the street who yeah. might look at me and say, oh, that's just another black dude. But guess what? That's not the thinking of our society. Yeah. So we have to look at it in perspective here. Yeah. If you want respect, you must first give it. And you want to treat people. I heard some, someone posted, why not? Why can't we all just see to treat people the way that we want to be treated? Yeah. Because that's not the way the world works. The world doesn't work like that. And I think as a people, we have to get over that thinking as well. That's mm. not our reality. That's the reality for someone else. But that's not ours. It's not ours. It's never been ours. And unfortunately, as long as this, this current power structure is in place, it won't be our reality. Malcolm yeah. X said something. They, they called him racist because he believed in nationalism. He believed that black folks should have their own. Black folks should be separate from white folks. He believed that. He believed that with everything he was until he went to Mecca. And he saw that black Muslims and white Muslims were all doing the same thing. Let's go back to when he was thinking did we what what did we really gain 100% out of segregation cuz here's what we got after after desegregation and the and the project housing and everything else guess what we had we had a separation between man and woman in mm -hmm. our community the feminist movement of the 60s they had nothing to do with black women they had nothing to do with black wanting to have be equal to their men in these authoritative positions so they come to black women because they didn't have the numbers. They didn't have the power. Black women say, you know, I'm right. That's right. But guess what? Your, your man is coming home to you every night. You don't have you. You don't have the argument. Hmm. You don't have the discretion. You know, you don't have the argument that white women had at that time. Black women didn't have that. Might have had a man dipping and dabbling, doing stuff. And he had no business. But coming home, he still worked. In fact, one of the most staggering statistics that happened, that, and I saw this. In 19, I believe it was 1960, somewhere between 1960 and 96% of able-bodied black men that could work were working. Mm. We're working. This is in 1960. My mom was alive in 1960. Your mom was alive in 1960. This is not ancient history. I got an aunt who was alive in 1960. I got a whole boy who was alive in 1960. I got large brothers who was alive in 1960 who saw this. So when this separation happened between man and woman in our community, these housing projects says, well, hey, if 
if you get on this program, I'm going to make sure that you have this. I'm going to make sure you have that. Just don't bring the man in the house. So when you don't have the man to bring headship and leadership, you don't have that. Now, guess what you have? You have mama raising turn without man. Man don't feel like she need him for anything. Man is this 70s. This really took off. 80s. It really took off, especially when when the drugs came in the game. Crack cocaine was introduced. Now that man who could have been in the house raising his children, going to church or the mosque or whatever the faith was, now you see that this kind of thing, that's not happening. So he turns to a drug. He got to make money. He got to do something. He's on the drugs or he's selling the drugs, one or the other. In the 90s, with this big, uh, this feminist, women's power, what movement, ain't nothing going on but the rent. Well, you see, guess what? That did some destruction to our community, too. Uh-huh. That did a lot. And as we can see to this day, it's the same thing. Um, I'm pro-marriage, using that for an example. I am pro-marriage. I am pro-federal sexual marriage. I ain't knocking nobody who gay. I ain't knocking nobody, nobody who feminist. That's y'all business. Y'all do y'all thing. But I'm pro-heterosexual marriage based on what the Bible has to say. And as far as I'm concerned, when that was destroyed, our, our foundation was destroyed there, that pretty much put us us as a people in a position of where we are now. There's so much distinction between the man and the woman, which creates distinction between the children and the parents. And you have that in the home. So charity begins at home and goes abroad. So what happens in the house it's going to go out into the street. It's going to go out. So this is why there's there's a need for order. There's a need for order and there's a need for structure. So to get back to tie it all back in, when we look at the structure of our people, the, the current structure that we have, we have none. We have none. We have, in our, in our community, we have has and we have have nots. That's what we have in our community. But guess what? Is that inherently ours? No, because we are a giving people. We have always, even ancient Africa, we gave, we did. We had whole communities. We look at ancient Mesopotamia. We look at the cradle of the, the, the cradle of creation and all that stuff. The now now river delta, things of that nature, where we really thrive. We had whole communities where we had men doing what men do, women doing what women do, children doing what children. That was a structure. But when that structure is destroyed, it is destroyed from a crack in the infrastructure. Something happened on the inside, and guess what? We didn't do it to us. Mm-hmm. We got duped. We got duped. We got duped. And because we got duped, we can't get unduped. Mm-hmm. But what's happening now, as you said, you have this, this new generation of, of young minds and young thinkers. They ain't waiting on Christmas to come to get done. They ain't waiting. Nah. No, they're not waiting on nothing. They're not waiting. They're going to go out into the street. And if you don't want to take this thing down, well, guess what? We'll bomb it down. And we'll go to jail for it. Well, you yep. see, these we now have a generation of people who feel that, okay, well, you didn't took everything else from us. What do we have to lose? Because if you don't want to listen to us, we're going to make you listen to us. Well, you see, this is what the baby boomer generation probably probably took our generation, Rajon, took our generation. Because guess what? My dad's generation, the World War One generation, mm-hmm. they were the predecessors to the children we have now. Yes, they, because in World War in the World War One generation, they they may not have wanted to go to war, but they went. When they came back, they may not have wanted to go to work, but they did. So things had to change. They had to. 
And now what we see is these children having very similar roots to that, except for this, they're impatient and what they think is right and justifiable, guess what? They're gonna go for that. And if you can't take that and try to mold it into, uh, it's raw energy, it's raw energy. Yeah. yeah. You, can do, you can do a lot with raw energy, but what? how much more can you do when you take that raw energy and you bring it together and you synthesize it? You have energy going here, energy going there, and it's all working in sync for a common goal. Mm -hmm. I love this that. This is where we are now, and this is what we must do. This is what I we must that. do as a people. We must do this now as a people in order for us to flourish and, and again, begin to build order out of chaos. We got to first get an infrastructure together. And it's simple. It's simple. I think it's simple. I think it's simpler than anything else. I think it's a very simple process. All it takes is one person doing their job, another person doing their job and i'm not trying to do your job and you ain't trying to do mine. absolutely if you're a barber if you're a if you're a barber then you go ahead and cut here but i'm coming that barbershop to tell you how to cut now here it is uh i'm a notary you ain't gonna come into my notary business and tell me how to sign something i got i got laws that back me for that but when you need something signed for your business i'm gonna sign it and when i need when i need a trim on my bed i'm gonna step in the barbershop Mm -hmm. This is what happened on Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Everybody did their job, but nobody trying. If you was cooking, you was in the kitchen. If you were doing tires, you was doing tires. And everybody was satisfied with that. Chiefs, too many chiefs and not enough Indians sometimes. That's the issue. Yeah. You still need Indians to work in the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think everything you just said, like I, I agree totally with, man. It's just um well, not everything you just said, I, I, I completely can agree with because there's a couple things I did disagree with, but this ain't the time for that. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but I will say overall, the message definitely was clear that we we have to do our part. Um, there was a comment that was made that I want to make sure that I that I, I respond to um, in regards to African-Americans um, and just people, you know, finding themselves, finding commonality with people that look like them. Um and the comment was made by my my my, my good friend. Uh, well, I don't know him, but he's been watching my show so long that I feel like we're friends at this point. Uh, Ryan Claymore. Um, I don't know where you at in the world right now, cool. man. But thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate. It. Ryan has been watching like two years now. Like he like he's a good good guy, and I appreciate it. He's a Republican. He I think he was a Trump supporter. If he isn't still, I don't know. But thank you so much for watching because we need people with dissenting opinions to make this thing great. Again. If you will, we do. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made it funny. But come on, come on. He, he uh he talked about you know the fact that and I want to go back to the comment. He was talking about uh he says um if you put a hundred people that don't know each other of all races and put them in a giant room together, they will separate themselves out by race all on their own with no external influence. I would say maybe, maybe, except for if those people were children. Because if we put 100 children in a room, they would just talk to the kids around them. They, they wouldn't find the other black kids. You took kids and put those kids in a room. The kids, the kids that had not to have an opportunity to experience the world and identify the things that, 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 that society tells them about those other children in the room. There's no one, no one has yet, you know, uh, 
poured into that child, oh, you're supposed to not like that person because of the size of their nose or because of the color of their skin or because the way that they, oh, because of the TV shows that they watch or because the channel that they watch, like they watch this channel and they watch this channel. So we can't talk to the people who watch this channel. Oh, they're not supposed to wear those clothes. When they wear those clothes, they look like this type of person. Children without that type of influence would just talk to the kids around them. Now you take a hundred adults who've been influenced by the world, who've experienced the world, and then watch them. That's a totally different thing. And what we have as a society have to do, which you keyed on perfectly, Tariq, is we have to do our part. When I'm in a room full of people, it's my job to talk to the people around me and not say, well, I'm not going to talk to the people next to me because they don't fit into the boxes of the people that I want to talk to. And I'm going to go walk across the room to find the people who think and look and act and talk like me. The more conversations we can have with people who think differently than we do, the better versions of ourselves we become. Absolutely. We live in an era of social media where we're operating in silos. We live in a world where if I don't like what somebody has to say, I just block them. And when I block them, the <laughs> algorithm says that people who talk, act, and think like that person, Rajan doesn't want to see that person. So I never hear opinions that are different than my own. And I never grow. There was a time in my life, and, I, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit. <clears throat> there was a time in my life I used to listen to the Rush Limbaugh show. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh, not because I was down with anything that he was saying. I wanted to know that I wanted to know what people who thought differently than I do thought. And I wanted to know what people who thought differently than me thought about me. That that meant something to me. In those opportunities, absolutely. And in, in listening to, to that, I was able to, to grow and learn. You talked about the military, Tariq. You know that's when people talk about the, like America as the great American, like the great melting pot, the military is the best example of the, the, the great American melt, melting pot. There, there is nothing in the, in, the, in, in, in the American system that is parallel to what the military is. Why, why do I know that? Because the first thing that was integrated in the United States of America was the military. It was the first thing. Before anything else was integrated, the military was integrated. Now, does the military have its own share of problems? Definitely. Definitely. But I'll tell you one thing. So no. You will never feel closer to a person that looks nothing like you than you will when you're in a place where people are firing weapons at you because of the uniform that you have on. Not because of how you look. That's right. We all have on this same uniform. We all represent the same thing. And this is where cops get it wrong. And I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting, bro. This is where cops I'm get enjoying it. Wrong. Take your time. This is where cops get it around, wrong. Because there's this thing going around called Blue Lives Matter. That is the dumbest statement ever. And not because I hate police. I understand the role of police officers. I understand the importance of community policing. I have all due respect for every single person that puts on that uniform. The problem is this. If I'm in the army and I'm going to go back to the army as the comparison, if I'm in the army and I watch one of my fellow soldiers 
kill an unarmed civilian, it is my sworn duty to report that person for, for, for doing something that is against the laws of the United Code, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. We have certain terms of war CMJ. that we have to follow. And police officers also have the same thing. So if you are on a force with somebody that you know is dirty, and y'all know who the dirty ones are, you know. You know who the dirty ones are. If you see people do if you see police officers shaking dr down drug dealers, it happens. If you see police officers taking stolen items, if you see police officers soliciting prostitutes and, and, and making prostitutes do things so that they won't report them, this happens. You see police officers breaking the law and you don't say something and then you say, oh, it's the blue, the, the thin blue line, the blue shield, whatever the blue thing that you want it to be. You're wrong. You're just as dirty as the cop that you're helping. Now, blue lives matter. There are black police officers, black police officers who have reported the fact that when not in uniform, they faced racial injustice from police officers. How, Sway? If it's, a blue, if it's a blue life, if you're a blue life, that means when I take off this uniform, I'm still protected. I'm still a part of your brotherhood. If this is blue life, if blue lives matter, when I take off this uniform, I am still a, one of you. But guess what? I take off this uniform, and what am I still stuck with? Black skin. Mm. And that's why blue lives sure matter. That's why blue lives matter is a problem. And that's why blue lives matter is wrong. I would love to live in a world where we are blind to skin color. I would love to live in a world where I don't have to tell my children how to act around police officers because they may perceive them as aggressive or problematic. I would love to live in a world where I don't have to tense up when I see blue lights, whether that car is coming for me or not. But we don't. We don't live in that world. And I will never lie to myself, to my children, or to my white friends about how that feels. That's all I got to say about that, bro. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Brother, you went on a tangent. Yeah. And your tangent sounded just like mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Hey, man. I, I, listen, I, I told the folks we was going to cook tonight. We cook. We, we cook put it on the grill and we fried it. We cooking, bro. Cooking. But uh, yeah, man, I want to, I want to, um, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to, to let, to let people know, you know, where can they find your work? Where, where can they find you? If they want to follow you, where, where can they do that? You can follow me right there on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com forward slash Tariq Bellbound. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, Instagram, just Tariq, T-A-J-R-I-Q. It's just me by myself. It ain't a whole lot of information there because I'm not really on it. But if you want to follow, please, by all means, do so. Um, let's see. Uh, any other social media? Yeah, um, you can check us on my music on Reverb Nation forward slash Tariq. Uh, follow forward slash Tariq, uh, Reverb Nation. My music is. I'm going to work on a couple of new projects coming up. Uh, uh, 
Bruh, I got a quick question. I got enough time to kick a couple of shout outs. Yeah, All do right. that. Do that. Cook. All right. All right. A couple of shout outs, real quick, before we get ready to close off for the night. 1993 staff, um, namely Deja D when she was there and uh, Lil Show, Kid Shannon. Gave me the name Spellbound. Gave me the name Spellbound in 2007 at, uh, I forgot the name of the place where we were. And we were in Goose Creek. Good times. Good times in Goose Creek. Gave me the name that night uh, for a poem I did called Poetic Delivery, where I went through the alphabet using nothing but the same letter for the same words that rhyme. Um, it's hard to write. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for your support over the years and always believing in me. Big shout out to DJ Cass. Uh, always supporting me as well. Big shout out to DJ Cass. Big shout out to uh, DJ Vince D. One of my big homies, DJ Vince D. My man, uh, DJ D Nice. My man, my man's in there. My man from way back in the day. Um, geez, who else? All of the local area radio stations have shown me love over the years. Um, to my crew out there in the James Island area, uh, little known fact, y'all, I was a part of a group called Left Aesthetic from about 2009 to 2000. 13, and we pretty much blazed the uh, James Island circuit. We opened up for Vanilla Ice at the Dive in Goose Creek. We opened up for Bubba Sparks. Uh, we, we've done a lot. We've done Cloverfest. Uh, you name it, we've done it. So big shout out to Ellie, et cetera, he and his family now. Um, big shout out to y'all talk. To my producers over the years and my engineers, uh, King One, King One Studios, I appreciate you, big homie. Uh, to my main man, Racy Afu, I couldn't talk anything about music without him. Uh, he has produced the music that I've recorded on. Um, he's been there for a lot. He's covered me a lot. I appreciate him if he's out there listening. Racy Afu, I salute you. Let's see who else. DJ Sparta. DJ Sparta, I appreciate you. I appreciate you a lot. Thank you for trusting me with your music. To uh, my cousin. <laughs> my, my cousin, uh, Oh, Lord. D. Cutter. D. Cutter, I appreciate you, big homie. Thank you for everything you've done for me and the music you've entrusted me with. Anyone who's assisted me, uh, big shout out to, to my neighborhood, 8 Mile, Benny Yard Road, to the squad out there. Um, young Grasshopper, my man, Vague, Vegas. Appreciate you, big homie. Thank you. He says I'm his favorite artist, and he's my favorite artist. Uh, my fiance, who was supporting me for everything. Love you, honey. Thank you. I appreciate you. These days, you're gonna get on one of these fills with me. Um, thank you, thank you. Uh, above all, to God be the glory for everything that He has done. Thank God for you, Rajon. Thank God for your family. Thank God for them supporting you, everything that you've done over the years. Again, like I told you before, I've watched you grow, man. You, you got a real life testimony, mm. you got a real life testimony. Continue to share it with the world, continue to share it with the world as you see fit. Um, Gotta, I gotta, you know what? I ain't wrong for this. I got to kick myself a shout out because without me, I couldn't do this. So big yeah. shout out to me. <laughs> shout, shout out to me. me. Shout, out, shout out to me. You got to kick yourself a shout out every night. Yeah, 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 I'll go yeah. last. <laughs> I'll go last. Man, but this is this has absolutely been a blast. And uh, my last my last closing thought to anyone who's under the sound of my voice. Listen, if you know anything about me, you probably know me for a long time. I ain't, ain't going to bite my tongue for you. I really don't care about your feelings, and you shouldn't care about mine, because feelings, they're chemicals, they're meant to change. It's always going to stay. And if you have a if you have a challenge to anything I've said lawfully and legally, I'm willing to hear it. 
outside of that. Mm. One more thing, Rajon. Yep. I want to I want to drop this on the three fifths compromise. To your knowledge, has that ever been changed in the Constitution on the amendments? Uh yeah, it it has. Yeah, African Americans definitely count as whole people now. Very good. Yes. Ooh, Definitely. I've been wondering about that for so <laughs> Yeah. A lot yeah. of the information that I've gotten was bad information. It was bad information. So I'm glad about that. Yeah. African Americans definitely um, count as a whole once person. Again, you all any outstanding. Um, I would like to thank your audience today for taking time out of their schedules to those who came as, as a request of my own. And those who come as a request of you, all of you. Thank you all. I Know what God you serve, but my God, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our Jesus Christ, Daddy. I mean, the God I serve. May He continue. And thank you all for your time this evening and all that you have done to make this. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to come back. Bijan, hopefully, you open up a panel one day. Hopefully, this COVID will blow off and we can get the studio and really do it. You know, and uh, you know. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for joining me, bro. I really appreciate it. You let me know. You know, you know, I welcome you back. You know what time it is. All right, all right, all right. So thank you yeah, guys man, so I'll much for be here. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. Um, let me do let me cue, cue my music up so I can thank you so much for watching this week. Reminder that the local celebrity spotlight shines every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. most of the time, where I interview my local celebrities and unsung heroes. Tomorrow night, I'm actually doing a special. Um, my local celebrity spotlight's gonna shine on G. Jordan, who was the young gentleman who was um, arrested in Marion Square for protesting. The guy who, you know, his video went viral, super viral, and now like even people on the likes of Jay Z are making sure that his his charges are canceled. So tomorrow night at 7 p.m., he's gonna be on. Um, if you are doing something in the community that you would like a light shined on, please reach out to me on my website. That's www.realtalkrajan.com so that we can discuss getting you on the show. This in all my shows is currently sorry this and all my shows in addition to the car chronicles series available for your listening pleasure via apple google spotify and whatever else you can find podcasts you can also find it on my website that's www.realtalkwithrajan.com if you'd like to be made aware of when i go live because sometimes it is unscheduled please be sure to click the follow or subscribe tab, tab on the page and turn on your notifications so that you'll know when something new is posted to the page in the meantime, please follow me on social media to stay up to date with what's happening on Real Talk with Rajan. On Twitter, it's at Real Talk Rajan. On Facebook, at Real Talk with Rajan. On Periscope, it's at Real Talk with Rajan. Um, and at, on Instagram, it's Real Talk Rajan. Feel free to leave comments, questions, whatever else you'd like to say in the comment section or the message section. I love getting your messages and reading your feedback, even if it's negative. I would also appreciate it if you could leave me a five-star rating on the podcast or a review on my Facebook or YouTube channel. I'm also accepting invitations for your speaking for speaking engagements and event hosting opportunities. If you would like for me to speak at or host your event, you can request me via my website. You guessed it. That's www.realtalkrajan.com. In closing, always remember that God is everything and without him, we are nothing. So never forget where your help comes from. And if a man doesn't stand for something, he's bound to fall for anything. Now that is real talk. I will see y'all tomorrow night. Peace.